Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Fuel Tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. we got every one of our lines wide open. Why don't you go give us a call? We're glad to put you right at the top of the list, get you an answer, get you some advice. That's right, and you put a 225 in front of that number, that will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right. We really appreciate hearing from our out-of-town guests. Of course, we like hearing from our Baton Rouge guests as well. You got a problem? Call us and let us know. <laughs> Automotive related. That's right. Hey, we might even handle some of those stuff. You, you think? Know. Oh, well, a few things. Depending if it ain't too far off topic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I got an outboard motor or a forklift or something here in me somewhere. But, uh, okay. <laughs> let's just put mechanically oriented questions. All right. I can go for that. <laughs> there you go. Of course, you call from outside of the normal 225 calling area, and we'll try to get an AGCO t-shirt out to you. Just give the producer your name and address and size preference, and we'll get that out for you just to encourage you to call. First thing Monday morning, you should have it by middle, late week. Well, depending on what the post office does from there. I don't well, know. That's, that's why I said middle or late. <laughs> I didn't guarantee it next day. That's right. You just never know. Hey, just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you after the show's off the air. That's right. You can always get your questions answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week, actually. You can go to our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get your questions back within 24 hours, sometime sooner. That's right. And just be sure that the email address you put on there is the true email address where I can reach you. I had a guy who emailed this morning, and I wrote a reply to him, hit the button, and it just popped right back to me, unknown at this address. So okay. apparently something he typed in wrong on his email address, so he won't get a reply. And That's real easy to do. One character out of place, That's and right. it, it's done. And if you hadn't gotten an answer back from me within 24 hours just because I didn't receive it, because I never ignore email, so just go ahead and resend it, and I'll get an answer right straight back to you. We're going to our phone lines with Charles. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. Good morning. Okay, my problem is I got a 2000 Buick LeSabre. Okay. And the service engine light comes on, and then okay. it pops up as a gas cap is loose. Yeah, well, it doesn't actually say gas cap is loose, Charles. There's no such code. What it says is there's a small or large EVAP leak. And there's about four dozen things that can do that other than a gas cap. A gas cap is one possible thing. Now, there is an article, if you want more information, on my website. Just type in the word EVAP, E-V-A-P, and this is going to bring up a detailed explanation of how that system works, how you diagnose it, and all that kind of stuff. But briefly, what it is, it's a system with a series of solenoids, and what happens is that when the computer wants to check and see the integrity of the system. So it shuts off the vent solenoid, opens a purge solenoid, draws a vacuum on the gas tank, then closes both solenoids, and it wants to see that vacuum hold. That way it knows nothing's leaking. Now, if the vacuum decays, it's going to flag that code. Now, one thing that can happen is if the gas cap is off or loose, it's going to do it. But another thing, if the solenoid doesn't seal. Another thing, if the vacuum line's bad. Another thing, if the seal on top of the gas tank's bad. So there's not one thing that causes the problem. It's many, many, many things. And well, that's the, where people... The gas gauge mm -hmm. also is erratic. Okay. Sometimes. Well, very well, maybe. They got a lot of trouble with that on that car. That's normally the sender unit, but that's probably not related to this other problem on a 2000. Mm -hmm. If you had a later model car, the fuel level will actually set that code also because on advanced EVAP, it has to know how much gas is in the tank. And if yeah. that signal drops out, it'll also set an EVAP code. Well, so, it was... I've uh, I put two new gas caps on. Mm -hmm. and it, well, and you can put new one, gas caps forever, Charles. It ain't going to fix it. That ain't yeah, the problem. Well, at the first one I put on, I drove it about 100 miles. Then the light went off. Mm -hmm. And uh, that lasted for a while. Yes, sir. And mm -hmm. 
So then the same thing happened. Again. Yes, so I bought another gas cap. Okay. Thought, well, maybe well, that one was bad. Nope. <laughs> and this one, it just stays off. Uh, right. The light right. stays on. Well, it's going to go off sooner or later as soon as you fill it up with gas because if it's got more than three-quarters of a tank of gas or less than a quarter tank of gas, it's going to abort that test. So the light's going to go off. It's also a two-trip code, so it has to occur twice in a drive cycle to turn the light on. And if you drive it a little short distance a number of times, it could turn the light off. Again, you got to understand how the system works. You, know, you happen to put a cap on, you happen to fill it up with gas, well, yeah, the light's going to go off because it's got a full tank. Nothing to do with the cap. Okay. So you still got to get somebody knows what to do in the diagnosis system. And with that engine light on or off, in this case, right. uh, you're not going to be able to get an inspection right. sticker because when, you, when they plug in to check the OBD2 codes, yeah. they're going to find it in memory. Yeah, when, yeah, when the light goes off, the code doesn't go away. It right. just moves to history. Well, is so. it going to hurt the engine if I drive it with the light on? Well, it could be, yeah. And not only that, but you're ignoring the alarm. It's kind of like if your fire alarm's going off and you ignore it because the battery's going dead and then the house catches on fire and burns you to death, you know, what you're going to do? Because that light checks 2,000 different things. Okay. So, no, you need to check, get somebody that knows what they're doing, check that and find out what it is. It's probably not that big a problem. It's probably a vent solenoid or lying off or who knows. It could be any number of things, but it's not something you can just keep throwing caps at and hope to fix it. Right. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you. Okay, Charles. Yes, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Sure, bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That's one of those things that just seems to confuse the devil out of people. It does. And I guess it is confusing. And I have written so many articles on that topic on the website that I'm almost blue in the face. And people say, why don't you write something on that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, there is no less than about 50 or 60 articles on that exact topic on right. my website. Just because that light goes out doesn't mean it fixed no, itself. Absolutely not. Because what people don't understand is there are criteria for a check engine light. And there are any number of criteria for different tests. For instance, one particular test may have to see what they call a cold start. Now, the computer defines a cold start as the ambient temperature is the same as the intake air temperature and the same as coolant temperature. Correct. So it's comparing these things, and if they're not all three the same, it knows the engine's been running. So it's not a cold start. So it aborts the test. Correct. Now, if you crank the car up and you drive three miles... It does not have time because it hadn't got the full operating temperature, so it does not run the test that day. Shuts off. Now, when you come back and you start again, the engine temperature is already elevated, so it doesn't run the test for that reason. Exactly. So you may go two, three days before the criteria are all met to run this certain test again. And therefore, the light will be out. The light may go back out. Right. Because it's not testing for that at that time. Now, the next time you get in it, cold start, you drive it 10 miles, it gets full operating temperature. The gas level is below three-quarters and above a quarter. Wham, light comes on. Exactly. Now, in the interim, if you do anything to it, you could say, well, I ate a bowl of cherries that day and light went out. Well, okay, yeah, it did, but that still didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't understand all the criteria that's going right. on. So we see that all the time. People say, well, I did this and light went out. Well, yeah, but if you hadn't done that, the light would have went out. Exactly. You just got to understand the way this thing works. I do realize it is very, very confusing it's but very frustrating for people, too. It is because they don't understand, and things you don't understand can really befuddle you. But what you got to do is you got to find somebody who does understand and ask them. And in this particular case, that's not going to be a very hard fix. Worst-case scenario, we go in, we run the codes, we determine what it is, we can do a few tests on the solenoids. Even if that doesn't get it, let's say it's say a, the vacuum line, a vacuum line off. off, you can do a smoke test on it where you fill the system with smoke, you see where the smoke's coming out, you repair the leak, bam, you're fixed. Exactly. But without all the equipment to test the solenoids, to do a smoke test and find all, I mean, you could literally spend 
weeks looking sure. for this problem and never, ever, ever find it. Sure. Some of the leaks we find are so small that you can't see them with your eye. Exactly. Do you have to have the smoke in the system right. to be able to find it? We had a vehicle come in not too, too very long ago, and I remember it had been wrecked in the rear. And ever since it had been wrecked, the check engine light was coming on. Okay. And the guy told me, look, I'm telling you, this car never had that problem before it was wrecked. Of course, the insurance company said absolutely not. Nothing to do with the wreck. Just a little light hitting the back bumper. Right. So he had gone to two or three different places. They had changed the gas cap. They had changed the solenoid. They had done all kinds of things. The light was still on. So he brings it in. We smoke test it. And I mean, ever, ever so slightly, you could see a little tiny wisp of smoke on top of the tank. Uh-huh. So I called him. and said, well, we got a problem with the tank. We need to drop the tank. He says, do whatever you got to do. I got to have this fixed. We dropped the fuel tank. And what had happened is that when it got in the wreck, it had hit the tank just hard enough to move it forward. I mean, maybe a quarter of an inch. Right. It cracked one of the little plastic stops that come up that hold the tank into the body, and it was leaking at the base of that little stop. Uh-huh. Called the insurance company. They looked at it. Yeah, no problem. It's covered. Right. So they covered the whole deal for him. And I guess the point is you could have thrown parts at this or just says, well, I'll live with it or went and sold a car or done all kinds of things. Right. Who would ever thought that a little crack in the gas tank would cause a check engine right. light to come on? Right. Very, 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 very minute. I mean, once we got the tank out, you couldn't see it with your eye. You had to you had to have the smoke in. You could not see it. So when the insurance adjuster came out, obviously I had to demonstrate this it, to right. him and the tank's out the car now, so I can't smoke test it. So what we did is just took and put a little air pressure on it, took some soap, and, and, I mean, bubbles right. coming right out. So there's other ways to test once you're out of the car. And that way I could very graphically demonstrate this to him. You sure, know? it was a no-brainer then. Hey, it's definitely broke. Oh, yeah. He, that's, this that's is where, it. That's where it's coming out. And Most insurance companies are more than willing to pay for any legitimate claim. Correct. But they, you got to remember, the business they're in, they probably have been scammed by the, <laughs> oh, by the right. best of the best. Everybody say. in the world thinks everything that ever happens to the car <laughs> is going to be accident-related once they had a wreck. Sure. And I understand their perspective. So they've got to be skeptical because they're managing other people's money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they can't, I mean, they're nice guys and all, but can't just throw money away. They, right. This has to be an accident problem. You may have had a problem and it may have been after the accident, but everything occurs sometimes. Exactly. It's not related. So they are going to be skeptical. Right. And if you can demonstrate, I've never, ever had an insurance company that I could demonstrate a problem to tell me, no, they wasn't going to pay for it. Exactly. I've never had a problem with it. It's just <clears throat> once you get to that point, now they may say, hey, we're not paying to pull the tank out to see if there's a problem. Well, yeah, you got to be willing to go. Right. You're going to gonna have it. to foot the bill for that. Right. Because if we do pull it out and it's not accident related, they're not paying for it. Exactly. But, but if you can prove to them that, hey, this happened in the accident, then they're more than willing to go ahead and cover it for you. Yeah. And it's all part of the accident. And they don't mind paying for that. It's just they can't throw money away. Sure. They answering to somebody just like you and I are, or everybody else, maybe other than the government. <laughs> <laughs> they don't answer anybody, man. <laughs> But yeah, they're asking to somebody just like everybody else, so they have to watch the policyholder's money. And I wouldn't want an insurance company that didn't do that. Exactly. You know, if they just threw money away, I sure don't want it as my insurance there. Because <laughs> I'm paying them premiums. That's know? right. But it just goes to show you how little tiny things like that can occur. And many, many, many times people say, well, yeah, I want to I find this myself. Well, yeah, I'm not saying you can't find it yourself, but... With the limited experience and the limited amount of equipment that you've got, you're probably going to spend a whole, whole lot of money and a whole lot of time trying to find something that a shop could find for you very, very easily. Sure. So we're going back to our phone lines with Tyler. Good morning, Tyler. Hey, how's it going? Doing great, sir. Good good morning. Listen to to your show a lot lately. Oh, thank you. Uh, Calling from Wisconsin. Oh, Oh, great. great. Thank you for calling. Yeah. I've got an 03 Impala. When I come to a stop, 
it's when you go to take off, it seems to like slip and engage. Hmm. It seems to be something with the transmission. Yeah, sounds like, like it. It's like a it's taking an gear, and it's hard to explain. <laughs> Let me ask Tyler, when you say it slips and engages, does the tachometer actually rise up and then kind of catch? Uh, it, yes, a little bit. Okay. Two things come to mind. I'm going to give you the simplest one first, and I know you've probably already checked this, but we got to cover it anyway. If it's just a little low on fluid, it will definitely do that. That's the most common reason for that. So be very, very careful checking it, and checking transmission fluid is a little difficult. If you go to the website, there's actually a nice article in there on how to check it. It has to be fully warmed up. It has to be perfectly level. You have to pull the stick, wipe it off, check again, and check both sides of the stick. Because a lot of times what will happen, it's running in park when you're checking it, the fluid may sling up on one side all the way to the full mark, but the other side will be low. Well, the lowest reading is the correct reading. Also, if you got a full reading and an air bubble and another reading, the lowest reading is the right reading. So if it's low, even just as little as one quart low, it'll do that. And particularly as you come to a stop, it kind of the fluid sloshes forward. The filter may suck just a little bit of air in, and then when you go to take off, it's going to neutral out and then it's going to grab. Now, if that's not it, I'm pretty sure I'd have to check service data, but I'm pretty sure GM had a bulletin for a similar problem with a flash update to the computer that addresses that. I know they've got that on the pickup trucks and some of the rear-wheel drive stuff, and it may apply to that as well. So I would want to check first and make sure that fluid level is completely full, and if, it's, if it is, then I'd want to check to see if there's any flash updates for it. Okay. All righty. All righty. Thank you. Okay, Tyler, hang on. I'm going to let the producer get your name and your size preference. I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you Monday morning. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah, man. Hang on. All right. We're going to have to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Matt, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Travel my way, take the highway. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, 499-9526. And we're going back to the phone lines with Matt. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, guys. Good morning, sir. Got two questions for you, but first I want to tell y'all that I really appreciate y'all's show, and it's really my favorite radio program. Well, thank so, you. For whatever that's worth to y'all. Well, that's worth a whole lot. <laughs> my first question involves 2006 Chevy Equinox. Okay. And the issue I have with it is there's a clunking noise that occurs. It sounds like it's on the driver's side in the rear somewhere. And I can't really tell you when it happens. It just seems like to be intermittent. 
and I've had it checked out at other places, mm-hmm. thinking it might be something to do with the brakes or whatever. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. But it sounds like a it's it's like two or three successive clones, sounding sort of like a relay or a solenoid engaging and disengaging. Really, what you can need to try to do, Matt, is to put some type of a context on it. In other words, it does it whenever I touch the oh, brake, or it does okay. it. Okay, it normally does it when we get out of the vehicle. Uh huh. And everything is shut off. Okay. We may be going inside the house. It's my wife's vehicle. Okay. Uh, after we stop under the carport, get out and start going in the house, and then we hear the clunking noise. Does it have a rear air on that vehicle? Rear air suspension. Rear air conditioning? No rear air conditioning? No, it does not. Okay, only front? No rear heat or anything? No. There's an actuator in the back on the vehicles that have rear air that does that a lot, and we hear that complaint quite a bit. It's after you turn the vehicle off that you hear it? That's right. I'm thinking that is going to be something electrical because there are some things that power down after the key is off. Most of them are in the front of the vehicle, though. Uh, If it's Uh in the back, it shouldn't be that difficult to find. There's some solenoids back there. Do you ever get a check engine light with the vehicle at all? Yeah, we do. Lately, it's been like a, I think it's, well, yeah. Yeah, we do. Okay. If it's anything to do with a gas cap or the EVAP system, then that's most likely your problem. Because there's two solenoids, an EVAP solenoid, a vent solenoid, and a purge solenoid. Those will set a check engine light because, and they do purge after the vehicle is shut off. And they are electrical, so they would be a solenoid clicking kind of a noise, and it would be in the back by the gas tank. So that is most likely going to be it. What you need to do is just get it in. I would start with that code. See what code or codes are present. And then go from there, and I would almost bet you, be sure you tell whoever you take it into, instead of just tell them, hey, look, I got a clicking noise, tell them I got a check engine light, I'd like this fixed, da-da-da-da-da, and by the way, I've got this noise, and it comes in after I turn the vehicle off, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're going to find that. I almost guarantee it's one of the solenoids in the back on the EVAP system. That's the only electrical you got in the back on that vehicle. It doesn't have rear air suspension or anything, does it? No. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's going to be only electrical back there, and that's about the only thing that can make a noise after you turn it off. Okay. All Good right. enough. My other question is kind of a generic question okay. about, about automatic transmissions and the, I can't think of what it's called, something like a locking. Lock-up? Uh, lock-up or yes, something mm-hmm. to that effect. Can you talk about that with explaining what that is? Yes, sir. That's one of the most misunderstood things in the world. It's actually very, very simple, Matt, but what lock-up is, a torque converter has to slip. It's like a clutch. So when uh-huh. you come to a stop, the motor's still running, and, of course, the car's not moving, and the slip uh-huh. is in the torque converter. It allows everything to slip. As you start to accelerate, what it does, it's got a bunch of fins inside of it, and they start to drag so they push the car down the road, but they continue to slip just a little bit. Now, when you get up to a certain speed, normally around 40 to 50 miles an hour, and you're in high gear, then it says, okay, there's no reason for this thing to slip anymore. If we could lock it up, we can get better gas mileage. So that's exactly what it does. There's a mechanical clutch, and there's a solenoid and transmission that opens. It runs pressure to this clutch, and it physically locks the torque converter one-to-one because it knows you're not going to be stopping, so it doesn't need that feature anymore. That gives you better fuel mileage. And so that's called lockup. Now, when you touch the brake pedal, it'll come out of lockup because it's going to anticipate you wanting to stop again. You let off the brake pedal, you go a little ways, it's going to go back to lockup. A lot of people confuse it with a high gear because it feels almost like it's shifting to another gear when it goes. In other words, if you're cruising along in fourth gear or fifth gear or whatever your high gear is, and it goes to lockup, you can see the RPM drop about 200. 
And that's uh-huh. because it is locked up and it's, it's actually more efficient, so you're not wasting that 200 RPM of power. But that's basically you. all it is to it. It's just a solenoid-controlled hydraulic clutch inside the torque converter. Now, GM has very, very little problem with that particular item. Ford, on the other hand, has a lot of trouble where their vehicles will actually give you a shutter when they go to lock up. And what causes that, the fluid tends to break down in them real fast. Ford actually recommends 30,000-mile services on most of their rear-wheel drive vehicles. And what will happen is that when the fluid quality starts to go away, that clutch will chatter. And, boy, it'll give you the devil to try to find that if you don't know what you're looking for because people think it's a misfire or they think they're running over a cattle guard or something. But it'll give you a little quick as it goes into lockup. But, but that's all in the world it is. Now, if it doesn't go to lock up or it malfunctions, again, it'll kick a check engine light on because the computer knows it's not locking up. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's actually a physical coupling between your engine and your it is. And your, and it, your wheels it's rather a mecha- than a hydraulic. It's a, me- well, it's a hydraulic clutch that's inside of the torque converter. It's just like a clutch you would oh. operate with your foot, except it's hydraulically operated, and it physically locks the stator and the shell together so there's no more slippage. So it's oh, running one to one at that point. Okay, and so yeah, so I see now that's not an easy thing to change out. It's not like just changing an external part. No, so the transmission would have yeah. to come out, and then it's between there. But again, they give very very little problem. Yeah. Most of the time, when you have trouble with lockup, it's going to be a solenoid or something in the transmission or a command problem, even a bad brake light switch. Okay. All righty. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break. Willie, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going right back to our phone lines with Willie. Good morning, Willie. Good morning. Good morning. Transmission question. You bet. 03 Lexus. Okay. About 80,000 miles. Uh huh. Never did anything to the transmission. Okay. But it doesn't seem to shift as smoothly as it should be. What's the proper maintenance uh, procedure now? Willie, what you need to do is find out why it's not shifting because, yes, it is in need of a service, but that is probably not going to fix that problem. That's most likely going to be a problem on the outside of the transmission. See, a number of things go into the shift on a modern car. It's going to look at things like the map sensor. It looks at the mass airflow sensor. It looks at the throttle position sensor. It looks at the vehicle speed sensor. It looks at a number of factors to create the shift. If any one of those factors is missing, because let's say a sensor is not reading or it's reading out of range or anything like that, then it's going to shift differently because it's going to default readings, which is going to be a much harder shift. 
So the first thing to do would be to go in and diagnose why this shifting problem is occurring. Now, to answer your first question, the proper procedure for servicing it is you test drive it first, you inspect it for external leaks, you drop the pan, replace the filter, torque the valve body bolts, check all the linkage, make sure it's good, replace it with a new filter, fill it with fluid, check it for leaks, and drive it again. That's a proper service. But that's not going to generally fix any kind of problem. What that's going to do is prevent a problem. It's kind of like brushing your teeth can prevent you from getting cavities, but once your tooth starts hurting, brushing your teeth is not going to help. (laughs) You know, so that's a maintenance item. It's probably due. What I would do is get it either to us or somebody like us and have what I would do is tell Josh exactly what it's doing. Now, when you come in, he would go drive the car with you. You say, hey, you see that? That's what I'm interested in. He would check it before he does anything else. Reason being, if I'm going to go in and service it, I'm going to have the pan off at that point. Let's say we got a bad solenoid. Well, I could change solenoid real easy at no extra cost while I'm in there. What you don't want to do is go get it serviced somewhere. Then you still got the same problem. Then you got to come back, drop the pan, pour all the brand new fluid out that you just put in and do it all over again. See? Okay. So that's why you want a proper diagnosis up front. And that's why you need to get to somebody who knows what they're doing. But they can put a scan tool on it. They can watch the shift points. They can see what it's doing. It does it pretty much every time, Willie, or yes. most of the time? Yes. If it's doing it every time, it shouldn't be that difficult to find. Now, all that being said, some of the other things that can cause that, actually an engine running problem can make a transmission shift really funny because the transmission is trying to optimize the engine. It's looking at RPM and stuff like that, and if it's not making the right amount of power, it's going to try to create a situation where it can make the right amount of power. So it may delay a shift. It may shift harder. It may do all kinds of things. It may not be a transmission problem at all. Okay. So it's just a matter of getting it in. i got to say, that Toyota transmission with 80,000 miles, it'd be pretty unusual to have a transmission issue. We just don't see a lot of problems with it. I can't say I've never seen it happen, but it would be pretty unusual. Okay. All righty. All right, thank you. Hey, thanks for calling, man. All right. 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. That's one of those things that a lot of times folks go way, way wrong. They'll say, well, my transmission's acting up. And unfortunately, what a lot of folks do, the first thing is they get on the phone and start calling, how much to rebuild transmission? Right. How much to rebuild transmission? And that is almost guaranteed a new transmission. If you get to a shyster, and there are some out there, they're going to hit you with the price that it's going to take to get you in the door, or they're going to tell you whatever it takes to get you in the door. Exactly. Free towing. Oh, free anything. Yeah. Everything's free. Nothing costs anything. We're going to tear it down for you for free. We're going to do all this for free. All that they really want to do is get your car in the shop and disable it. Correct. Because once they take it out and take it apart, then they call you back and tell you it's going to be X number of dollars. What are you going to do? Your car's in pieces in their shop. Exactly. All diagnosis has now ended because the car doesn't run anymore. So you ain't diagnosing anything. Right. You're just throwing parts at it at well, best. And the bad thing is when you finally figure out that you've been taken down the road and you call a decent shop, they're not going to want to fool with it. Exactly. Because they don't want to go behind this klutz who's got it all in pieces. Don't even think about taking it out of there in pieces on well, yeah, not repaired. Because you're not getting your pieces back. You could get a bunch of broken, worn out pieces you had under the bench back sure. in, in a box and there's nobody in the world's gonna want to go behind and try to reassemble this mess because half the stuff's missing, the rest of it's broken. Broken. Yeah. And so you're really, really, really stuck and the only way that you can deal with that kind of a situation is to get it to the right person to start with. Now, how do you know you got the right person? There you go. Number one, when you call and say, how much is a rebuilt transmission, they are not going to give you a price. They're going to tell you, what is the car doing? It's doing this, 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 this. Bring it in. Let me check it, and let me tell you what's wrong. Now, 
anybody that will quote your price just right off the top of the head without knowing, not even having a clue what's wrong. Sure. You are absolutely got the wrong guy on the phone. That's for sure, because you don't know what's wrong with it, and they don't know what's wrong well, with it. We don't even know if Stram is your problem at all. Exactly. In fact, most likely it's not. <laughs> <laughs> just so many things on electronically controlled transmission that are actually on the outside of the transmission. Well, and, m- and many of them have nothing to do with transmission at all. You could have a bad alternator. And the system voltage is operating at, say, 11 volts instead of 12 volts or at 14 volts instead of 12.5 or whatever the high limit is. Right. And so the computer is freaked out. Everything else may be working perfectly. It's starting good. The battery's staying up because you got plenty of voltage. But it won't shift out of second gear. Yeah, it won't shift out of second gear or whatever. And the first thing people assume is transmission's gone. Sure, because well, it won't shift. Yeah, and... There might have been a time way, way, way back many, many years ago when everything was mechanical that you could kind of sort of do that, and that probably wasn't even a good idea back then because uh-huh. you could have had a vacuum line off the governor. Right. But that kind of thinking will really, really put you far, far, far wrong. So the last thing in the world you want to do is get on the phone and start calling. Now, if you just got to get on the phone and start calling somebody, get on the phone and start calling shops that don't do transmission work. Okay. And they don't do transmission work at all. Right. And say, if your car was broken or your mother's car was broken, who would you recommend? There you go. And see who they say. Good non- <laughs> non-biased yeah, opinion. Yeah. They don't sell out anyway, so they got to really tell you one way or the other. Exactly. And if one guy's name comes up more than once or twice, then give him a call and say, hey, when can you look at my car? Sure. Now, that would make a lot more sense than calling around, asking a price on something you don't know whether you need or not, or you don't know the extension you needed or anything sure. else. So you're not going to be able to get any kind of issue. And if the guy, if you pick the right guy, Whatever price you charge is going to be fair, and more to the point, he's going to be able to fix your car. Right, and he's not going to quote you a price over the phone. No, absolutely not. That is a absolute red flag on any kind of service anymore. If you and, can call and get a price to the phone, you're in the wrong place. Right, we get about 15 of them calls a day. Oh, How yeah. much is this? How all much day, is that? All uh-uh. day long. And I've told the story a million times. I had an elderly fellow who called me one time. How much rebuild transmission? And I said, well, we got to check the car. Well, I got to have a price. I know it's transmission. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I've got to know what's wrong, so I'm going to have to check your car. Right. He hangs up. Okay. Well, next week he calls back. How much rebuild train? I said, you same guy I called last week. <laughs> <laughs> same answer. Yeah. He said, well, my son says i got to come over there. I said, well, no, you don't have to come over here. I would like you to. I sure. really appreciate your business, but you don't have to come here. You can do whatever you want. You're a grown man. So anyway, long story short, he does bring the car in, and when he walks the door, I know it's transmission, so... We spent about 15 minutes checking it, and what had happened is he had run over something in the road. The transmission had come up. He hit the connector on top, bent the connector, and some of the pins had popped out. So Josh pulled the connector out, straightened the pins out, plugged it back in, hooks it back up, shifts perfectly. Exactly. So I called and said, your car's ready. What do you mean it's ready? I said, it's ready. You want, you want to go to rebuild the transmission now? <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up spending a total of about $75 to get the problem fixed. But, right, whereas if he would have actually got it to somebody that – well, you know, it, would have it, given him a price. He yeah, had spent thousands. Yeah. Well, if he called and the guy told him twenty five hundred, and he called another guy, he told him twenty two hundred, he called another guy, he told him twenty one hundred, he picked the guy twenty one hundred. He just might have still got that thing plugged in, and if he's lucky, all it had done is painted the pan. That way, at least it didn't screw the transmission up. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just lost some money, but if they went there and actually worked on transmission. He really had trouble. Exactly. Because now he does have a bad transmission. <laughs> <laughs> we, we see it all the time. Well, yeah, the guys that use those kind of tactics couldn't rebuild it if, no matter how much you paid them. Right. So, yeah, that, that's kind of a whole different issue there. So Yeah. We got, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you got the right train, just the wrong yeah, track. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got a bunch of email here that I get from different folks all around the country. Guy emailed me the other day outside of state, said he's got a Chevrolet Sierra, and he's got around 150,000 miles on. He was wondering, he says, you know, I got a feeling the transmission is going to probably go out at some point. Would it be cheaper to go ahead and get rid of this thing before the transmission goes out? Okay. Those transmissions do go out a fair amount, but certainly they don't go out all the time. There's no reason to think yours is going to go out. But if you think about it, how much did you pay for the vehicle new? And, well, it's $35,000. Well, he says it's only worth about $7,000 now. Okay, so you went 10 years. Uh, you went from thirty-five to seven. So that means it cost $28,000 to go 10 years. Uh-huh. Now, if you rebuilt the transmission and maybe you fixed the air conditioner and maybe you, who knows what else, had to do some engine work, let's say you spent another eight or $9,000 to go another 100,000 miles. Uh-huh. Well, do you want to spend twenty eight thousand, or do you want to spend eight or nine thousand? There you go, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, which but, which way you want to go? Yeah, even then, though, I've seen transmissions go two hundred thousand miles without any trouble at all with a with proper maintenance. Some do, and just like some people live to be hundred and ten years old, and some, some them, live seventy. That's right. Or, just because there's a higher number of these that fail, it doesn't mean all of them fail. Certainly and it's not it's not something do. I would go out and just change the transmission just because. If you're worried about it. Start saving the money now. That's right. So when it does go out, you'll be prepared. Yeah. You'll have the money to fix it. Yeah, go ahead and start sticking a hundred bucks a, a month, week, a week, week or a month, month or whatever. Right. And then when it's a big deal, it's probably twenty five to twenty eight hundred dollars when transmission goes out. Sure. But, I mean that's hardly going to break you compared to thirty five thousand to forty thousand for a new one. That's it. Just thought it was kind of interesting email. Let's go back to the line with Fred. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning. How yes, are you sir. Doing, doing great. Good sir. morning. Appreciate all your help. Thank Look, you. Got a two thousand ten. Chrysler, Town and Country, uh huh, and they got that heater hose hook up with that plastic Y split in it. Okay, and it started dripping. Uh huh, and everything I found says the only thing you can do is buy the whole thing from the dealer. I found a splitter mm-hmm. at a local auto parts place that uh-huh. looks like it's the same size and shape. Okay, how do you guys stick something like? I mean, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, absolutely. There are times when that is a good alternative, Fred. There's a lot of things like, for instance, there is a hose on a. Toyota Camry, a power steering hose, and it's a little short piece of rubber hose that leaks all the time. Well, Toyota sells that hose as part of an assembly, and it's about a $250 assembly, and it takes about three hours to change it. So what we do is just cut the clamp off and put a piece of high-temperature hose on the end and clamp it back because, to me, it makes absolutely no sense to spend $250 in three hours for something on that little rubber hose is leaking. So, yeah, a lot of times there are ways you can do things like that. I don't see an issue with it. Just have to make sure nothing else hooks up to it. There's no kind of restrictors or anything in it that you're not seeing. But many, many times you can do things like that. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. This was a $7 splitter that mm-hmm. looks like it's close enough to the same. I mean, the outer diameter looks the same. Yeah, I'm it's sure not, the, the idea it's just heater hoses. It's probably not going to be anything really super critical. I mean, just check and make sure when you take it off, there's no kind of little restrictor or anything inside, because sometimes you have things like that. Some of the car companies have had problems with the heater cores eroding away, and there's, the coolant flows too fast through, and it can actually erode a hole in the heater core. Ah, okay. And so they'll put a restrictor, and even if that's the case, you can maybe take the restrictor out of the old line and put it in the new line. Okay. So there's ways around workarounds, but yeah, we do that kind of stuff from time to time. I'm not real big on modifying factory designs, but many times it's just if they don't sell you the right stuff you need, you just got to go another way. Yeah, I mean, this thing looks like it's about a $200 set of hoses oh, and, yeah. and metal lines. And yeah, it and it's just all over the place. cheaper for them to do it that way. Instead of supplying each and every part, it's cheaper for them to sell you a whole yeah. assembly, not to stock all those parts. And, 
you know, and then why put a piece of plastic right over the, the mantelpiece, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I tell you, they, they do some boneheaded stuff, man. Okay, well, look, I appreciate all the help. All right, Fred. Yeah, I checked your website first, and I could—I don't think I saw anything about that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, thank hey, you. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number, if you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we would love to have you. Talking about phone calls, email. I got one this morning from a fellow in Morero, which is a suburb of New Orleans. Right. So he bought two new tires for his car, and everything was great. And he said about a month later, he had a flat tire. And he went and had it plugged. He says, now, when he picked it up, it was vibrating. Okay. And so he drove it around for a couple of days and brought it to another place. They balanced the tires. He says, now it's really vibrating. Okay. Worse than it was before. He actually what I thought was going on. And the first thing I told him, I said, well, most professional mechanics do not believe in plugging tires. No, we don't. That's just, what you want to do is break the tire down and patch it from the inside. The best patching method is the one like from Tech Patch Company, which actually patches with a piece that goes through and seals the wound. But when you plug a tire, many times what will happen is that air can leak around that plug and separate the tire, which will actually ruin the tire. It also voids the warranty on the tire. Right. If they get one back that has a plug in it, they are going to void it. Yeah. So it could be that they damage the tire plugging it. The second thing is that most of the people who would plug a tire probably aren't going to balance the tires properly either. There you go. So you might want to check and make sure that it is. I told them if you look and see and there's more than one weight on either side of the wheel – or if there's no weights on either side of the wheel, chances are it's probably not balanced right. Exactly. So check those things and see. Quick little break. Gene, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Gene online. Good morning, Gene. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, question. I have an 09 Chevrolet with 100,000 miles on okay. it. Okay. And the motors just started ticking lately, last couple weeks, I guess. Hmm. That's common. Chevrolet yes, truck? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me ask you, Gene, are you losing any coolant or anything? No, sir. Not losing any coolant at all? No, sir. If you're not losing any coolant, chance or how often do you normally change the oil in it? Put the, the synthetic oil in there, I change about every 6,000. Chevrolet's had a fair amount of problems, particularly on their later model engines with camshafts wearing out and the rocker arms coming apart. Now, let me ask you one more question. Is the noise worse when the engine's cold or worse when it's hot? Cold. Yeah, well, then back up and forget all that. Check on the left-hand side, driver's side, all the way at the very back of the exhaust manifold. Look back there and see if the bolt head's there. 
and chances okay. are it's not going to be. And those engines have an absolute notorious problem of the exhaust manifolds warping on them, and for some reason it pops the head off back bolt on the left side. And what it'll do is you'll get a tick, 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 tick. That's a little exhaust leak. Sounds exactly like a lifter. When it heats up, the manifold kind of swells up enough, and it kind of blocks it off, and it goes away. A lifter will almost always be worse when it's hot because all thins out when it gets hot, and it'll go right. away when it's cold. So generally, if it does it when it's cold and not when it's hot, check that back. And it could be one of the others because, I mean, basically any one of them could do it. But that back left bolt is absolutely notorious for that. And where's that at exactly? On the left-hand side, all the way in the back. Last bolt in the exhaust manifold. Hey, thank you, Albert. All righty, man. Thank all you. Right, Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And that's about one more little motor scooter to get out of there, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it is extremely difficult to get out, especially if it won't come out readily easily with a screwdriver or something right if, if it's if you can't loosen the head, on it, yeah, yeah you can get it out to try to get a drill in there and drill it in its you, position you've got to have a 90 degree a small 90 degree headed drill and a short bit yeah and a lot a lot of, of patience <laughs> <laughs> a lot of patience a lot even more luck hey going back to the phone either joe good morning joe good morning lewis yes sir good morning uh, you've done some work for me in the past okay. i just have a question for you you bet when you come to a stop sign or a stoplight mm-hmm You've got dynamics. You've got a transmission that's trying to go and a motor that's running. Mm-hmm. And I put my car in neutral mm-hmm. so that it's less pressure on the brakes to stop. You're yeah. Not, you're not forcing. Yeah, I've heard all that know. before, Joe. I, I can tell you what the transmission guys tell me. And they said that you're actually doing more damage moving stuff around inside the transmission because you start to wear out the valve body and wear out the shifting mechanism than anything you're going to gain. Because a torque converter on a modern car comes out of lockup and there's really no strain. It's all designed to do. So I know a lot of people who still do it, but Josh told me that, no, absolutely, you're better off just to go ahead and stop normally. It probably was a time when that did help things, but I think that time has probably long since passed. I know, like, on my car, I got a Buick Park Avenue. I can let off the gas. That car will coast forever. And you can watch the RPMs when you let off the throttle. Mm-hmm. The RPMs are going to come almost down right. to idle. So It even shuts the injectors down right. and all that when it sees off throttle. So more modern cars, they're going to do everything they need to do better than you could possibly do it. You're more likely to actually cause some damage or some wear in the valve body way more than any benefits you're going to gain from it. That was my question. All right. Yes. Okay, very good. Thanks. Good question, right, Joe. Sir. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Good deal. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Dan on the line. Good morning, Dan. Uh, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. I had a question. I have a 2002 Tahoe. Okay. And the heater apparently has quit uh, merging with the air conditioning air. When I set a temperature, it's got a little continuous temperature dial, you said, mm-hmm. say 74 degrees. Yes, sir. And what I notice in cold weather, you know, the air conditioner is always running, and it's pouring the air conditioning in there, and you can't really you can turn it hot as you want to. And, and sometimes it'll make a little heat, and sometimes it won't. But it's just it's like the heater has just quit, it, quit putting hot water through the coil or the whatever distributes the uh, yeah, heat. The yeah, yeah, pretty unlikely that it's stopped putting hot water through because it's got a direct system the way it actually works dan is it's got a motor called a temperature actuator and what it is there's two cores one's hot one's cold and the actuator moves a door back and forth to direct the airflow where it wants it to go far far more likely is that that actuator is not moving the door it's just keeping it all the way on cold okay and a couple of things you need to check before you go start cracking into all that first off make sure that 
the heater is working. And it was, if you just turn the heater on, will it blow hot if everything uh, else is off? Well, it, it, the air conditioner is always on. I mean, yeah. it's always. Uh, but if you turn the AC off and then turn the heater on, do you get any hot air or no? Well, I don't have that option as far as I know. I mean, I. I yeah. Set, well, uh, it's got a button you can push turn the AC off on. It, oh, it kills oh, the compressor. It, a light, it does have a little light mm-hmm. on it. And even when I turn that off, it still seems like okay, the air. Okay. Well, then the next thing you need to do is go out. And there's two hoses going into the firewall. Uh-huh. Just lightly touch those two hoses and see if they're both hot. About okay. the same temperature. About the same temperature. Because what you can have is either neither one of them can be hot enough, in which case you may have something like a thermostat sticking open and the engine's just not making enough heat to get hot. Or I have seen plugged up heater cores, which will cause the same issue. Now, if both the hoses are hot and about equally hot, then you know the water's getting to the heater core. Then right, you're going right, to be okay. into the actuator under the dash. Doesn't mean the actuator itself's bad. There's also a control head that's not sending a signal to it. And there's also a door that can break inside. Now, that's almost falling down easy if you got the right scan tool. You can go in, you can command it to open and close, and you can see the counts on it, whether it's actually working. Now, without the proper tooling, it's the devil's own work to try to figure out. So okay. it would be difficult for a, a it would be almost impossible for you to do yourself because you couldn't I tell know. if it's the head not sending the signal or if the actuator's not getting the signal or if the door's not working. But again, in a shop, we could probably diagnose that in a half hour or less. So it would be relatively inexpensive. And there's four actuators under the dash. Two of them are fairly easy to get to. One of them is moderately easy, and one of them is it's really buried in there. But I think the one that's really hard is the research actuator. I think the temperatures are fairly easy to get to. So that's most likely. If you got heat on both sides of the heater hose, you know, both hoses are hot, then that's probably what the problem is going to be. Okay, yeah. All right. I what you're saying. Thank you very much. All right, Dan. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That seems to be a pretty common problem. Yeah, the new air conditioning system. Well, it is. They're just so complex with all the actuators and all that kind of mechanisms and a lot of stuff there to go wrong. Right. And just in case you didn't get a chance to call in today, didn't get a chance to get to your call, go you ahead. can always go to the website and get your questions answered that way. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that name is take the acronym Altazan Garage Company, get you to our site, and... There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email anytime, day or night. That's right, and we really appreciate hearing from you. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them hearing this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week, and tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. We really appreciate that. That's right. I really do appreciate your ratings. It kind of lets us know we're doing a good job and kind of moves us up on the ratings as well. There you go. So, we'll make the top one day. There you shortly. go. Sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.